And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and somebody will slip you a Bible or there's some towards the front on the platform. Luke chapter 15, third book of the New Testament. Been doing a verse by verse study in Luke on Sunday morning. So chapter 15. We've studied the first 14 chapters of Luke's gospel. And now as we enter into chapter 15, we read, and then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, that is to Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so as we open up chapter 15, uh, we see that it is vastly different than chapter 14, if you've been with us in our study going through Luke's narrative. And you recall that the previous chapter in chapter 14, that Jesus is invited to have dinner with one of the rulers of the, Sen uh, the Pharisees. That is, he would probably be a member of the Sanhedrin council, that same council that's going to end up condemning Jesus in a few months from this time, and then putting him to death, handing him, uh, condemning him to death, handing him over to Pontius Pilate. And so Jesus would accept that invitation, and that ruler, along with some of his religious friends and, and other scribes, are trying to set this trap up for Jesus. They have this man who has this disease. He has dropsy. He's hurting. He's about you know, ready to die of that disease before too long. And they set him right before Jesus to see if Jesus would heal him on a Sabbath day. And of course, Jesus, with compassion and mercy, would heal that man. And then he would deal with the hypocrisy and the mindset of the religious leaders, that he would uh, address them most specifically. And you see, it was their attitude towards the people that they were supposed to be ministering compassion and mercy to, that they looked down upon the people. They had contempt for them. So much different than our Lord as we just open up the first two verses of chapter 15, as Jesus is welcoming, he is receiving sinners, tax collectors. Keep in mind that tax collectors were very much hated in the land. They were seen as traitors. They were seen as being dishonest, working for the emperor of Rome. They were generally wealthy, and so they were considered the worst of the worst, and yet Jesus is receiving them and other sinners. And what we're going to see here is that Jesus is going to be talking and giving three parables that are given in chapter 15 here. And there are three words that you can write down in your notes that are real key in this chapter, in chapter 15. We're going to see the heart of the Father, and those three words is number one, that he is going to talk about the one who is lost. And then second of all, he's going to talk about the one who is found. And then the one uh, who is going to be, and that is the shepherd, the one who is searching for the coin, the heart of the Father that's going to be rejoicing. So three words. One is lost. One is is, you know, found, and the other one is rejoicing. We read that in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus will say that the Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. And keep in mind, again, that the religious leaders, they only saw as sinners to be judged by God. They didn't know the heart of the Lord towards them, and they didn't understand the compassion and mercy of the Lord. And they would criticize and be all judgmental towards the lost and they kept their distance from them. They didn't want to defile themselves. They didn't want to be associated with them. They would claim that we need to keep our purity. 
And that's why they're so upset with Jesus here, who is eating with them. And understand, as he welcomed them, as he received them, he would eat with them. And in that culture 2,000 years ago, to eat with somebody meant that you were fellowshipping and communing with them. It actually meant that you were one with them. Because as you ate of that loaf of bread and you took a piece and he took a piece, you're eating of the same loaf. And, and so it was a symbolism of closeness, of fellowship, of oneness that was taking place. And that's why they were so upset. Hey, he welcomes, he receives, and he even eats with these tax collectors and these sinners, and they're murmuring and they're complaining. You see, today it's similar. Today we might invite somebody over to our house, somebody over from work or somebody in the neighborhood or a friend or perhaps uh, somebody else here from church, and you invite them over to dinner, not so you can just chow on, on food, but there's a purpose, isn't there? And that's to get to know them, to have fellowship with them, to have communion with them. And that's all a part of this. So these guys, they are upset. Uh, the sinners, they would come to Jesus, not because Jesus pampered them or catered to them, but because he cared for them. And he had compassion for them. And he would teach them the truths of the kingdom. He would teach them of the love of the Father, just as he's going to teach us here in this chapter. He would be full of grace and truth. And that's important because he did not in any way compromise his message and the truth of, of the kingdom to them. So these Pharisees that are in opposition to Jesus, keep in mind that it is growing, that they are upset. He healed this one uh, with a disease on the Sabbath day, chapter 14. He was one that addressed the guests that were there. He addressed and rebuked the host that was there. He was talking about salvation and what it really means to be his disciple. And all of a sudden, now he's eating with tax collectors and sinners and, and these religious leaders that thought they knew the Old Testament law. Oh, maybe they did what was written on the pages of Scripture in their scrolls. But they didn't understand the heart of the Father. And they were determined to keep their purity. They were determined that they were going to keep their distance from others. But they didn't have any love or compassion towards the lost. And here is Jesus going to be given these three parables in this chapter that is found in no other gospel. It's not found in the other two synoptic gospels of Matthew and Mark. It's not found in John's gospel. Matter of fact, that there are commentators that say that chapter 15 is really the heart of Luke's gospel. And as I mentioned to you, keep in mind that he's talking to the religious leaders, giving these parables, as well as those who are lost, the sinners that are listening to this, and the three words, lost, found, and rejoice. So let's begin to look at these parables as we begin in verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. So as we view and look at chapter 15, the three parables that are here, first of all, as we read, there is the parable of the lost sheep. 
The second one is going to be the parable of the lost coin. And then the third one in verses 11 through verse 32, the longest of the stories, is going to be the parable of the lost son we know as the parable of the prodigal son. But notice really that in verse 3, he spoke this parable. It's singular there in verse 3. So it is really one parable in three movements. It's the same picture in three different frames. And as we look at this, remember that those who are listening, there is the religious leaders listening to Jesus telling his parables who thought that the loss, that there was no hope in them, that they were defiled, that the Father didn't care for them, so upset with Jesus. Here he is receiving these sinners and tax collectors, murmuring and complaining. It's very similar to what took place earlier in Jesus' ministry. I want to remind you that Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem, Luke chapter 9. So in that section of Luke chapter 9, verse 51, up until chapter 19, he's in the last weeks of his earthly ministry. He has left Galilee for the last time. He's moved into that area of Judea. He's going to be going up to Jerusalem here in just a few weeks. But it was earlier, as we saw and read in Luke chapter 5, when he was up in the Galilee region, that when he went to that tax collecting table where Levi was at, he said that you follow me. And Levi got up and immediately he left working for the king of Rome to go work for the king of kings. And it was Levi, we know him as Matthew, would have his tax collecting buddies and other sinners over to his house to meet the Lord. And when the religious leaders saw that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they complained, it says in verse 30, same word that is used here, and saying to the disciples, why does your teacher, your master, why does he, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus hearing them, Knowing what they were saying, said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And you see, he's talking about you and me, because all of us were sick because of sin. We weren't well because of sin. We were separated from God. And Jesus came to save that which was lost. He came to save you and me. He receives sinners and eats with them. So here you have this, this one parable in three movements, three in one. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Because the first movement that we just read, the shepherd who went after the lost sheep speaks of the work of the son. In the second movement, the woman who finds the lost coin speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit. And then the third movement in what we call the parable of the prodigal son reveals the heart of the father. So you have the work of the son who is the good shepherd, you have the work of the Holy Spirit illuminating, convicting, searching, and then the heart of the Father who's ready to receive the one who has come home. So back to our text, back to the first movement. It tells of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and he leaves the 99 to go and find the one who is lost. Now, sheep, they need a shepherd, don't they? They need a shepherd for protection, to lead them to the green pastures to watch over them, to defend them, because sheep were defenseless. And for one to be lost, it would be a great concern to this shepherd that Jesus is speaking about. We know that the scriptures liken our Lord to a shepherd, just as we opened up the service reading from Isaiah chapter 40. And we are sheep. 
Jesus would consider himself as he would proclaim that I am the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice and they follow after me. You know, in that Wednesday before uh, Easter weekend, we're going to show slides of our recent trip to, to Israel. And one of the things that we'll show you is the better ones outside of Jerusalem and in Bethlehem that they have sheep and they have goats. And it's a better one, uh, you know, some of the boys that are shepherds and, and some of the, the dads, but they have sheep and they kind of are out there in the hillsides. And those boys, those men will have a distinct call and they'll call those sheep and the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and they'll come to the shepherd. It's kind of interesting if you can stop and just kind of watch it a little bit. And Jesus said that I'm the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice and they follow after me. But we also know that Jesus would say that he lays down his life for the sheep. Even as Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 declares that we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And he has the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And of course, our most favorite psalm in Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. And you see, that's what the good shepherd desires to do with his sheep. First of all, as we've all gone astray and he laid down his life for the sheep. He was the shepherd that the iniquity of us all was laid upon him as he went to the cross of Calvary to die for your sins and for my sins. And in this story here, we read, we see how important that the strayed sheep, the one who left the 99, how he left the shepherd, he was lost. Sheep can be confused very easily. This one was careless. This one, he couldn't find himself back to the shepherd. He was lost. He couldn't find his way back to the other sheep. And oftentimes when sheep, when they end up being lost, what they do is they end up just laying down. They're confused. They're frightened and they're scared. There's a sense of hopelessness. And they just kind of lay there until a predator comes along and does them in and wipes them out. I think that every single one of us in this room listening or out in a coffee shop, or listening on live stream, that we know somebody that we look at them and we think, man, they are really lost. We look at their life and we think they've lost their way. There's no hope for them. And they're just kind of there with no hope, waiting, being victims of the world and the enemy to do them in and wipe them out. And I pray that the Lord has something to say, great encouragement for us, but also conviction for us in that we would not look at others and think that, man, they are so lost, they are so stupid, and God must be so disgusted with them. And we have that pharisaical attitude of looking down our noses at them. And we need to remember, because there can be enough Pharisee inscribing me did I forget about the heart of the Lord? The heart of the good shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes after the one who is lost. And listen, he's not leaving the 99 defenseless or doesn't care about the 99. The Lord lays something before us this morning of his heart. And I never want to get to that place. That I think that God will never pursue that. 
person or he doesn't love them or desires for them to come to him, to be forgiven, to be saved, to surrender your life to Jesus, to be a new creation in Christ, to have a new beginning. And as I mentioned, these three stories can be very encouraging, but also very convicting to us as well. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but should all come to repentance. Now we know not everyone is going to come to repentance. Not everyone is going to come to Jesus. He made that very clear just a couple chapters ago. As he said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, that many go by it. But Jesus is telling us something of his heart. That I am going to go and search for the one who is lost. That lost sheep would not know how to get back to the flock. He could not save himself. He couldn't find the shepherd, but the shepherd went after him. And when he finds that sheep that was lost, the shepherd doesn't say, you dumb sheep. You wandered off. You were so careless. You were so foolish. I should have just left you out here to be devoured by a wolf. And now I had to spend all this time and leave the others and come and look for you. And I got better things to do. It wasn't that mindset or that heart that he had. But rather, there's great rejoicing that's taken place. He lays the sheep on his shoulders so that sheep would be safe and carried and cared for and provided for. The one that wandered away has been found and it's back on the the shoulder of the shepherd. It tells us in Romans chapter 5 that Jesus, he proved his love for us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you were at your very worst, when I was at my very worst, He came and he died for you and for me because he knew all about us. He knew when you'd be born, he knew that you'd be here in this place on this March morning, 2017. And he knows all about you, your life. Jesus didn't look down and say, Jeff, you know, you seem to have your act together right now. And you seem to be very special and you're pious and all of this. And that's why I died for you. He died for me while I was yet a sinner. He knew that I'd be lost. He knew that you would be lost. And that's why he came, to save that which is lost, to to save us and to bring us into the fold. The shepherd's going to take the sheep back to the 99 that are saved and bring them home. And our good shepherd took upon his shoulders that wooden cross, and he went to that place of execution because he loves you. And as he was walking to that place of execution, he was thinking about you. And he did it that you might be saved, forgiven, and have right relationship with the Father and the hope of eternal life. That you may be found and saved. And when the one is found, there is great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. I don't know what your experience was when you came to Christ. Maybe that it was at a crusade. Maybe it was here in the services. Maybe it was watching Christian TV. Maybe as somebody shared with you, you might be thinking, well, no one rejoiced when I came to Christ, but I want you to remember that heaven rejoiced. There was great rejoicing in heaven. And what I pray, even as we saw in the first two services, people coming to Christ, making decisions for Christ, rededicating themselves to the Lord, and we're going to give you the opportunity, anybody that's here, anybody that is listening, and I pray that when that takes place and the work of the Lord in saving people and drawing him to them to himself, that we would rejoice in that. Amen? 
a course. And you see, the Lord wants us all, there's application to be made. Not for the one to come to, just for salvation. Yes, that is a wonderful story and application to be made. But the one who wanders after sin goes after carnality into the world. And the Lord, our good shepherd, is going to pursue you because he loves you. You're the foolish sheep that has gone astray and God doesn't want to give up on you. He pursues you, calling you to repent, to come back to him. And if you're here, if anyone who is listening, that you're involved in the world in sin and carnality, the Lord says, stop. Repent and turn to him. He's calling you to himself. He wants to lead you to green pastures, to the still waters. Because you know what? The waters of the world, not only are they going to leave you thirsty, but they're going to be turbulent waters. And we know that the pastors of the world, you know, are going to be dry and barren, and it's not going to be good for you. The Lord desires to have you experience that abundant life, and he's calling you to come back home. He's calling you to come back to the flock. So Jesus here in this first movement, the shepherd rejoicing, going after the sheep that wandered away foolishly. And then we come to the second movement in verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. And likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So you might think, loss of coin, no big deal. But you got to remember in this culture at this time, what women would do when they got married, when they first got married particularly, they would take 10 coins, they would string them together and wear them across their forehead. And what it was is it was an announcement publicly. Everybody could see that, hey, she just got married recently. And you would wear these coins across your forehead. And they would save up for those coins. They would gather those coins, very special coins. They would do it for years. They would do it since they were a little girl, saving up those, those coins. Now, we can save coins. I don't know um, about you, but I have a jar full of change. And a lot of us do. And I can throw pennies and nickels and quarters. If I lose a penny and nickel dime, no big deal. You know, it's, it's, it's no sweat. But here it's different. These coins, each one of them, that they would wear on their foreheads when they got married, that they would save for years, it was very sentimental. It was an important message. It was a way of communicating that I am married and I belong to someone. And all of a sudden, one of those coins is lost. And she begins to search carefully because one of the coins is missing. It's kind of like Sue, my wife, years ago lost a diamond in her wedding ring. And so we were looking for it. We had lost it. It had fallen out. And we weren't just looking for it because of the monetary value of the diamond, but it was sentimental. It, it was an important. It was an important symbol of our, our marriage, our life together. So this is the same thing, a coin that is lost and it reminds me of another story concerning a coin that Jesus, as we know from the Gospels, he, would, as he was asked the question, that should we pay taxes? And he said, give me a coin. And whose image is on it? Well, it's Caesar's. 
Well, give to Caesar the things that belong to him. Render to God the things that belong to him. And the question is, whose image are we in? We are in the image of God. So we are to give ourselves to God. Just like that coin was in the image of Caesar, that coin that was lost to that woman here in this story meant that she belonged to another, to her husband. You and I are in the image of God. We are to belong to him. But if a person is lost, they're not saved. They don't know the Lord. It's like that lost coin. And here's the beautiful thing. The work of the Holy Spirit is to sweep frank, frank, uh, frantically, to sweep, to search, to illuminate. John chapter 16, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. We need to remember that salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we will say to others, I found Jesus. And we understand what they're saying, don't we? That they came to the Lord, made a decision for the Lord. But really the truth is, is that he found you. He found us. That's a better way of saying it. Because Paul, when he writes in the book of Romans, as he's writing about how we're all guilty, chapters 1, 2, and into chapter 3, whether you're the Hebrew that thinks that you're righteous or whether you're the heathen, we're all guilty. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And in chapter 3, he says that are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. So he found us. And again, as we make application for us, all of us have something that we can take home. It's not only speaking of salvation, and as he opens up our eyes and softens our hearts and convicts us of sin and the need for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, but when we go astray, we go after the world. The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction. Just as we talked about on Wednesday night in Proverbs that tells us that we can't hide our sin. That we can't hide our sin from God. You might be able to hide it from others, but not from him. And even David, as he sinned with Bathsheba, he tried to hide that sin for several months till Nathan the prophet came and, and confronted him. And David writes about how he confessed this sin. He was forgiven, but how the Lord convicted him and brought that chastening to him. In Psalm 32, he says, my bones were hurting and I tried to hide my sin, but I couldn't. And how he would confess it and how he was free. And the Lord if you're involved in sin or compromise or carnality of any sort, the Lord desires to bring that chastening, that convicting to you. And remember this, it's always to draw you to himself because he loves you. And it is a loving father that says, I don't want you to be involved in that sin. Go after that worldliness, pursue that compromise because it's going to hurt you. And he loves us too much not to convict us. You see, the enemy will condemn you. But the Holy Spirit will convict you so that you'll turn to him and you'll come back. It's lost, like the lost coin that needs to be in its proper place. And the Holy Spirit bringing that internal conviction, searching and sweeping. And there's a discovery and the coin is found. And there's great rejoicing. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 62, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. 
And remember that the religious leaders listening to this, they actually had a saying that there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is judged by God, who is destroyed by God. There was value in this one coin. So will you remember this? You are valuable to the Lord. And I used to have the mindset of, you have millions of sheep, you got millions of coins, what's the big deal about me? And what the Lord is showing us this morning is that you are important to Him. That I'm beginning to understand more and more as I read the scriptures that the Lord sees people individually. That He sent His Son, yes, to die for the sins of the world, but He sent His Son to die for you. To die for me. And when I am found, when there is repentance, there is great rejoicing. So you have the work of the Son going after the one who is lost. You have the work of the Holy Spirit lighting and sweeping and to find that which has value to found and it's put in its proper place. And then we're going to see now the heart of the Father in the third movement, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. There's so many lessons in this story of the lost son that we're not going to have time, obviously, to, to look at all this story. It's the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. And we'll cover it and look at it quite specifically next time. But I want to point out a couple things that we notice in these two verses that we just read. The word prodigal in the King James is not used. In the New King James in verse 13, it talks about and there he wasted his possessions in prodigal living. That word prodigal is the old English word that means literally to be wasteful. And just as we discussed that there's three movements in this one parable, verse 3, the story uh, or the third movement of the lost son Within this story, there's three movements. We see the heart of the older son. A third of this parable deals with him. How he is angry, how he is upset at not only the younger brother, but he's upset at his father. You have the heart of the younger son or the prodigal son. But thirdly, we see the heart of the father. The word father is used 12 times. And it will be interesting that we will see next time as we will look at this story of the lost son that the younger will be softened because of the love and the compassion of the father towards him. And the older brother, that his heart's going to be hardened because of the compassion and love of the father towards the younger. And again, I don't want to develop that heart that the older has. I don't want to become that older brother. The Pharisees and the scribes listening to Jesus. Jesus is speaking to them. We can know someone who is out involved in sin and carnal living, and then they're back in church, and they're broken, and they've repented. And some can think, well, it's just not that simple. Who are you to think that you can just come waltzing in here and thinking that you're okay? And we end up being all judgmental. Looking down again our spiritual noses. We want them to grovel a little bit. We want them to feel really guilty. And we have to be careful that we don't have that pharisaical attitude. And as I look at this story, opening it up, 
The other thing is that the son says, I want the goods. Father, I want my inheritance now. Give it to me now. And in those days, the father actually could give the inheritance to his sons. Remember that in ancient Israel, inheritance was everything. Was everything to pass your name along, to hand it down to your son. Your very livelihood is what you are passing down. So it's very important here. And you could do that before you died, but usually you did it after you died. And matter of fact, the Mishnah said that you don't give the inheritance to your sons until after your death, lest they squandle it, you know, waste it. That warning is giving. So today, when we talk about inheritance, usually it's not given until somebody passes along and then there's a will to pass on the inheritance. But sometimes maybe a trust may be set up. You set up a trust for your children. And sometimes there's a provision in that trust that these things, you know, the finances, whatever's in that trust, is not going to be passed along until that child reaches a certain age, 21 or 30 years of age. So here is the son. He comes to his father and he says, give me the goods. I want my inheritance. And it was like what he was saying, being very disrespectful to his father is what he was doing. It's like he was saying to his father that you're dead to me. And I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with this family. Give me what is mine. Give me the goods so I can go out and do my own thing. What I hope and pray for us. That none of us would say, Lord, give me the goods. Father, give me the goods, but I don't want to live in your place. I want the blessing, but I don't want to walk in obedience. I don't want to have that fellowship with you. I really don't want to know you. But I want the blessing. And as we read in verse 13, he wasted his possessions. The King James says the substance, sub, uh, speaks of something underneath, a, a foundation, stance, something built upon it. Uh, the, the inheritance was really the very foundation and the building of that family being passed on to him, very important. And you and I spiritually, we have an inheritance in Christ and we don't want to waste that substance Read the book of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3, that tells us the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. All the spiritual blessings belong to you and to me. We have been saved. We've been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We have been chosen. You know, we've been adopted. We have an inheritance in Christ that will last for all eternity. You are dead in your sins and trespasses, but because of his great love towards you, you have been saved, and you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And you are his workmanship, his poem in the Greek. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created for his good pleasure. He wants to use you. And you are no longer strangers and foreigners to our God. But you've been brought near. You've been brought in because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask and think. And if you have the mindset or the heart of, oh, I'm a believer, but I'm going to go and do whatever I want. And Lord, I want you to bless it. He's not going to bless it because he will not bless sin and carnality and worldliness. 
but he desires for you to come home. And this father loved his son. He didn't lose that love for his son. He didn't argue with his son. His son took the goods, and we're going to see next time he went out and he wasted it. And he wasted it on carnal living and on harlots. It was so bad that even word got back to the older brother and to the father, and he's brokenhearted. And I just wonder, I just wonder. And I just think of this story, the heart of the father, that if there wasn't a high place there, that he would go out every day and he's looking down the road. He's looking to see if his son would come back. And maybe you have somebody very close to you that is out there in the world that is straight off. You keep praying. And you keep lifting them up in prayer. And know that the love of the Father remains. But if you're here today and you have wandered off and you said, give me the goods, Lord, maybe you're here because you found yourself in the pig pen. Because that's what this son is going to find himself in. But I want you to know that you can come home. And the Father receives you. And his love remains with you. The son, he goes after the sheep that was lost, rejoices when he's found. The Holy Spirit convicting you to find that which is lost, to put it in its proper place. And the father, his heart, do you realize there's only one story where we see that the father's in a hurry? And that is to receive his son that has come home. That's his heart towards you. That is his heart towards the one that you love. And I pray that we'd always know that there's hope that is found in Jesus. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word. And so powerful, this chapter. It really is the heart of, of you, Lord, towards us. It's to save that which is lost. To receive that which is lost. The search, illuminate, to, to minister. To draw your love remains. And so, Father, I want to pray this morning as I know the coffee shop is full and here in the sanctuary, those listening on live stream, those listening on the radio later, that you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He's the good shepherd that laid down his life for you. Salvation is not found in anyone else or anything else. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the good shepherd that upon his shoulders was laid the iniquity of us all. He died for your sins. Your sins that have the consequences of death. Separation from God. But Jesus is your mediator. He's your savior. There is none other. And he died in place of you and for you. And your sins were placed upon him. And he died in place of you. And he cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I've paid the price. You come, believing in him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was put into a grave and he rose again after three days. He proved that he's the son of God. He conquered sin and death. A church can't save you. A pastor can't save you. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus, the good shepherd. And he brought you here that you might receive him by faith. To be forgiven to have the hope of heaven in right relationship with the Father. Will you call upon him right now, right where you're sitting? 
And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you. I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and you were put into a grave and you rose again and you're alive. Speak into my heart. And I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for your love for me and dying for me and for this new beginning. And I pray that you would help me to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.